I'm afraid. So you shouldn't be afraid. Well, it's Christmas time again. It's hard to believe, isn't it, where this year has gone. So next Friday, I've been here exactly a year. So that's yeah, exciting for you. I remember Christmas, um, uh, there's three of us in the family, and my younger brother, he's nine years younger. So I remember when I was young with my sister, and there was only the two of us at Christmas time. And that was a brilliant time of the year when you're just, you know, there's just two of you, and mum and dad spoiled us rotten. And we would get up in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, because it's fairly lightish, go into mum and dad's room and say, hey, can we do it now? Can we do it now? And we would, uh, they would deny us at 4.30, and so we tried again at 5, and 5 was normally the time where we could go for it. Now, in our family, so mum and dad were quite tired, so they didn't get up, so my sister and I would, under the tree, sort out a pile, you know, Gary, 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 mum's no good, and boom, here it was, and then we'd go for it, and we'd just rip them open and see what we got. And it was great times. And that's how I thought everyone did it. And uh, until, I'll stick to a biblical theme, I was betrothed to my wife, I went to her house. And they had lots of presents, a few of my names on them presents, and I thought, great, you know, that's fine. When do we dive in? But they did it differently. They did it really weird. They took their time, and it was embarrassing. So, all of a sudden, someone would hand you a present, and I'd sit there with it, waiting for everyone else to get theirs. But no, everyone watched you open yours. And of course, if it was a stink one, you had to lie and say, oh, wow, fantastic. It's always what I wanted. But, and that's the way it went. And then in the middle of it, some, for some bizarre reason, we would stop. We would have lunch, and we would come back. And that's the way the Anderson household does it, really weirdly. So Christmas time, now, all I do now, because I'm of old age, I run to the letterbox and see how much my visa bill is through Christmas. And if it's low, that gives me great joy. I'm not sure this year. I'm hoping it's low. So for some reason or not, I always get asked to do the Christmas uh, service. I don't know why, but uh, it's always I'm last on the rank, and I think, oh, Gary will do it. And cr whether it's Christmas or Easter, it's always the hardest one because everyone knows the Christmas story, so they expect you to do something really way out there and something different. So I thought of this year, and I went through all my Christmas sermons, and I didn't want to do any of them because I was sick of them. And so today, it's an unusual one. I just want to look at the wise men, the Magi who came and worshipped the Lord. And that's what I want to look at today, found in Matthew chapter 2, and look at their story. And then at the end, I want just two points. And they're kind of New Year's resolution points, if you like, that what are we going to do? You know how you have these promises at the start of the year. It's a couple of weeks away, the start of the year. And I want to challenge us, challenge first of all the Christians here, and also challenge maybe there's, you know, you've brought friends, you've forced friends along or family that might not be believers in Christ, and a challenge for you as well. So two challenges at the end for the new year starting. So Matthew chapter 2, we're just going to look at these men called Magi, or it's translated wise men, and we're beginning right from verses 
1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Then Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? So they said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not amongst the least, the rulers of Judea, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called these wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back to me word, or bring word back to me, that I may go and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, a star, which had been seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood still over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw a young child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures and presented the gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they then being, being divinely warned in a dream, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And we'll just end it there. There's always a bit of a mystery with these men. I was just about to say three men, three wise men, is what is fact and what is fiction, and we'll just look at them very quickly. What is it that we firstly don't know about these wise men, these magi that came from the east? Well, we don't know how many there is, or how many there were. Um, obviously, three is a great number. Three is always on your Christmas cards. It's always on the nativity scene, which they weren't at, but they were there. And you see on church nativity scenes the wise men around the baby. So we don't know how many there were. But the chances, believe it or not, are high that there were only three. And the caravan, you know, and their servants and their slaves followed them into that city. But we don't know. It is only a guess. We don't know their names, though some historians believe their names, have, they have got their names, Gaspar, Melkon, and Belshiar. We don't know that either. Some reports and some historians believe one was an Ethiopian, one was a Greek, and one was an Indian. But that the Bible does not mention. All we know is that they are from the East. And so it's important to, to understand what we do know about these men. These men come looking for a baby, king of the Jews. They are from the east, so that brings about four possibilities where they are from. The Arabian Desert, Egypt, Persia, or Babylon. That's where it's possibly they came from, out of the east. We know they would have been high-ranking officials. Um, they would have had influence on people and they would have had power as well. These were top men. They weren't called wise men just for a laugh. They were very, very intelligent men of their day. 
And if you go back and see what Magi were and what they had to learn, they had to be experts in science and agriculture and mathematics and history and the occult and religious studies and also political affairs. So these men were quite intelligent men as they came from the east. If we go back to the book of Daniel, we see them mentioned there in Babylon, the Magi there, the wise men, and they were always the highest ranking officials in the land. If you go back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, you'll remember, and you don't have to, but you'll remember that when the Lord gave the king Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and he asked his wise men, the Magi, to interpret that dream without even telling him what the dream was, the king ordered them to be put to death. But then Daniel steps forward. He steps forward, and because of his great wisdom, and because God was with him, he interpreted the dream. But also, he pleaded with the king for these wise men not to be killed. So more than likely, Daniel was highly respected from the Magi. They would have thought, wow, he saved our lives. This is the one we'll look up to. He interpreted a dream without even knowing it. Surely God is with him. And so the wise men of that time would have, had, um, would have been very pleased and had a lot of respect for Daniel. We know in chapter 6, Daniel was, uh, the king was... Um, he was tricked into putting Daniel into uh, the lion's den. But notice it was the commissioners that did that, not the magi, not the wise men. The wise men owed Daniel their life. And so, of course, we know the story that Daniel got out of the den of lions or the lion's den. And surely the magi or the wise men of Babylon would have taken notice of this man. Surely God is with this man. And so it might have been that they interpreted, they read the writings of Daniel and what was prophesied by him, that one day, one day, a king would be born to rule all the nations. And so it was, for some reason, they interpreted the signs of the time, times of the signs of the time, and they followed a star, and it brought them to Jerusalem. It would have been amazing, as we read in verse 2, as they come into Jerusalem and asked a question. Where is he born king of the Jews? In the Greek there, it's a continual action. In other words, these men went around constantly saying, every person they met, where is he born king of the Jews? Gone to the temple, where is he born king of the Jews? Went to the marketplaces, where is he born king of the Jews. They must have been shocked going into this very, very religious city that really no one seemed to know what they were talking about. And no one had the answer, where was this king to be born? Until Herod brought the wise, or not the wise men, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests together, and they worked out that Bethlehem was the place. I find it really odd when I read the story that these Gentile men from the east not, probably not too much knowledge of who God is. They were, they were coming in excited. Where is he? We know a king has been born. What was Jerusalem like? They were troubled. They were troubled. Don't forget, they didn't come in and saying, where is he of the king of all nations to be born or the king of Babylon to be born? The question was, where is he who was born king of the Jews? This Jewish nation, a king had been born and no one seemed to know it. 
and yet they should have been waiting for their Messiah. But they were troubled, and these wise men were excited. And of course, we know in what we've read, Herod finds where the king was to be born by asking these, um, the high priest, etc., and it was Bethlehem. He tells him, hey, come and see me afterwards so I can go and worship, and worship him. And we know that wouldn't have been true. He would have killed him. And so in verse 9, we have the wise men's reaction when they go towards Bethlehem and all of a sudden a star is over the house, it seems, or a light, a great light, it can be translated, over the house. They knew exactly where this one was now. And they make haste. And what does it say? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's almost like the word of God or scripture, it's like it hasn't got big enough words how excited they were. Like five-year-old children at Christmas Day opening presents. These guys, grown men, were so excited that they rejoiced and they were filled with exceedingly great joy. And of course, what would it have been like? They knock on the door. I'm sure they would have had slaves. All of Jerusalem knew that they were asking questions, so they were quite a big group of people. And they come in, they knock, knock on the door, maybe Joseph answers, and they come in. These very wealthy men, these very wise men. Maybe the camel train parked outside, and they come in. And they see Mary with the child, and what do they do? They bow down and worship him. What an odd feeling that must have been. These men are brilliant men of their day, and they see a child with the mother. And notice scripture says they worshipped him, not her, but him. And they bow down, making themselves lower than what the child was. What would have Mary thought and Joseph if these men come in? Now, they must have been thinking probably eight or nine or a year, months ago or a year ago, that shepherds came and saw him. And it said Mary pondered all that had happened in her heart. Now, a few months later, these wise men come through the door. And they bow down, nobles bowing down to a young boy, maybe eight months old, maybe a year old, roughly. And then they give out gifts. They give out gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wow. Boy, I'd just be like, what is happening here? As they bring gold. Gold, some commentators say, speaking of his deity. Frankincense of his humanity. Myrrh of the suffering that was to be. And then they leave. They leave and they go a different way. Obviously, they knew God's voice. He warned them in a dream, all three of them. They take heed, and they go back a different way. It's extraordinary when you think of the parents, if you think of what it would have been like in that day. And I thought there were two things that stand out, two things I just want to leave with you as we remember these men who came to worship a young boy and thinking of maybe the promises of the new year ahead. So firstly, for believers, and it was just a challenge to me. The Magi, the wise men, came into a city which they, should, they thought they would have known where this king was to be born, this king of the Jews. 
Think of what Jerusalem had. They had the high priests, they had scribes, Sadducees, Pharisees, and also rabbis. This was a religious city that studied and studied the scriptures. But it seems, even though they studied, they didn't know the true God. They didn't seem to know him. When he came, they didn't know him. When Christ grew up, they didn't know him. When he was crucified, they still didn't seem to know him. And these Gentile men come from the east and ask, where is he who was born king of the, king of the Jews? Jerusalem were troubled, the wise men were excited. And the warning for me is that you can study and study and study, and you can get to know all about who Jesus is, but it doesn't mean you get to know him. And you can miss and study for knowledge's sake of who God is, what he's like, but come away and not know him. And I know I've done that. And I've studied, you, you study whether it's prophecy or you study this, just so you can argue, but you don't know them. And so my challenge for next year is when I'm studying, do I, do, I'm not asking you not to study a hundred times, no. Of course, study the scripture, but why are we studying it? Why do we read it? Is it for a relationship with him or is it just head knowledge? Just so I can argue or I know a lot more than the person I sit next to here. We must, we must study to have a relationship with him. We read, we pray, and we experience him. I was just reading Tim Keller's book on prayer, and he just opened up the first, first chapters of, of Philippians, of Ephesians, and of Colossians, and he says, what's Paul getting at in their first chapters? He said, it's saying, don't worry about your circumstances, worry about knowing him. That's what he was telling the churches in the first chapters of them three books. Do you know him? Philippians 3, that I may know him. That was Paul's desire for the church. Do we know him? And of course, yes, you study. But here we had an instance of men studying galore, but they never looked up. They never saw the star. And so I'd encourage us all next year as it comes along to read his word, to pray to him, but also to look up and worship him and get to know him. And then lastly, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. You don't know who he is. Maybe you've come along with a neighbor and they forced you and you've, you please them once a year and that's great because you're brave. If you're not a believer and you've come to a place like this, to sing Christmas carols and listen to someone like me. You are very, very brave. But the challenge for you is, I was reading the other day, um, the great, they call him the great atheist, Richard Dawkins. And he said this, that Christian, Christianity is for dummies. It is for people who don't think and do not understand. They need something to prop them up in sad times, and they need a promise when they die. Christianity is for dummies. But I'd like to challenge you, first of all, in what we've read, that there were men who came from the East who were not dummies. They were very, very intelligent men, whether it be in science, maths, agriculture, religion, or the occult, or politics. These men were very, very wise men. And it's these men who sought 
the Christ out, this King who was born. It was them. And so I challenge you this year, maybe, or the year next year, to look seriously of who Christ is, who he really is. And I visit and I'd like to, if you are new here and you don't know Christ, is just to put a challenge, a 21-day challenge, to find out who Christ really is for yourself. And I've put these little booklets. It's called the 21-day challenge. And all it will take you is five minutes a day to go through the Gospel of John and see who he really is, who he claimed to be. It'll take you 21 days, and I've got some just sitting outside in the foyer. I'd love you to take one. And as I say, it'll only take you 21 days. And then go on a journey and search who Christ really is. Because when these wise men found him, when they saw the star over the house where the young child is, they, were ex- they were re- rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And I can promise you, if you find him, and if you know him, so you will too. Rejoice with exceedingly great joy. The Christmas story is the start, just the start. It ends at Calvary's cross. And from there, it goes to an empty grave where Christ rose again. And that's where that journey will take you. From a town in Bethlehem, to Calvary's cross, to an empty grave. But still at that empty grave, you will rejoice exceedingly quite a bit at Christ the Lord and what he has done for you. Time is up. So, Fido, wherever you are, I will close in prayer, will I? I don't know where you are. I will. I can't find him, so I will. There he is. Okay, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the readings that we've had from the young people. We thank you for the items and the songs that we've sung all about that time when you loved us so much that you sent your son into this world. Oh, Father, we're just so grateful that you were mindful of us, that you sent your very, very best into this world. And Father, from our hearts, we just want to say thank you that it just didn't end there. He didn't tell us the way. He was the way. And it would take him, your son, all the way to Calvary's cross, where there he would take upon himself my sin, our sin. And so, Father, once again at this time, I know it's it's a busy time for everyone, but may from our hearts we just say thank you once again for all that you've done, all that you are. And so, Father, we just say thank you. We have this food, Father, and we just give you thanks again for the many blessings we have, and we just pray a blessing upon it. May we fellowship with one another. If there's strangers or guests here today, may we just talk to them and just show them the joy that we have in this world of confusion, that we have such a hope and such a saviour. And it's in his name we give thanks. Amen. Amen.